Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning, and we are going to start with some good news of fighting back against the left and uh, the woke false ideology, uh, starting with the state of Missouri. So the Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has put in place emergency restrictions on so-called gender-affirming care. Of course, that's what the left calls it. Uh, It's actually uh, not care at all. For adults, though, also in addition to minors, and this is, um, I believe, the first of this kind in the nation, and the rationale is to protect patients, so not just minors, but adults, from deceptive business practices surrounding transgender procedures. So Attorney uh, General Andrew Bailey joins me now. And sir, I just have to say, I applaud you for this. Um, this is deceptive business practices, even under the 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 title that that the left is trying to force on everyone of calling this gender affirming care. So um so congratulations on that and how um how effective is this rule and is it um in effect and will it be challenged? Yeah, well first of all, thank you for having me on and it will be effective in the coming days. The Secretary of State just accepted the rule and got it on file yesterday and so we're moving forward with it. Uh, it'll have a limited duration. This is the most we can do in this moment of time to stand in the gap to provide patients the information they need to make informed decisions and protect kids. And we'll look at a more permanent rule going forward. Uh, at the same time, the Missouri General Assembly, I'm proud to say, is pushing forward legislation that would also fill this gap. And so Missouri is standing up to protect patients. Look, the left wants to frame this as some kind of anti-trans activity. And really, this is designed to protect patients. Why shouldn't patients be afforded access to mental health services? Why shouldn't patients understand that these drugs are experimental, not approved for these procedures? Why shouldn't patients understand that cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers have serious long-term health consequences and surgery is irreversible? Why would the left be fighting us against helping patients understand the medical procedures they're about to undertake? I mean, it's, we've, we've lost all rationality in this conversation, and we've got to reframe it about protecting patients and specifically children. Yeah, well, and and the answer to that, of course, is because they just want to advance their agenda regardless of what harm they perpetuate onto adults or children and uh, what harm will be incurred for the rest of their lives moving forward. And um, and Attorney General, it reminds me of the, the left's argument when it comes to abortion as well and how they are so shocked and outraged that anyone could possibly say, let's actually show a mother, what the the heartbeat of her child, a sonogram and a photo, because that would actually give her all of the information available to make a decision, even if abortion continues to be a choice. And similarly here, when you're, it, it sounds like you're just saying, hey, let's tell them all the information and not just push toward one choice. But this is what the left does. They say the only option you have is to follow our agenda 
or else. And so, as you said, the Human Rights Campaign, um, which I have so many questions about that entity, uh, wrote on Twitter, quote, this isn't just an overreach of authority. It's an outright attempt to endanger and ultimately erase transgender people statewide. Um, erase? Really? Yeah. I mean, look, this, this is outrageous. The, the, you know, and I, and I totally agree with your point. I mean, the, the left does not care about the health and safety of people because they don't value human life in the same way the right does. This is about valuing human rights, understanding that we're created in the image of God, and that's something to be respected, not mutilated. I mean, again, think about what the left is fighting against. They're fighting against patients having access to information, and there's an important number here, and that's zero. There are zero clinical trials or FDA approvals showing that puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones are safe for gender dysphoria. Zero. So why are we using mental health treatment like psychology and psychiatry? Why are we denying access to those and racing down this road to pills and irreversible surgeries? Why are we ignoring the adverse outcomes? That's the other thing. We're, we're saying, look, you've got to track adverse outcomes so that patients, subsequent patients can understand how dangerous this stuff is. Yeah, and the left, the left wants to paint it as some kind of you know, hateful, hateful act, hateful behavior, hateful restriction, when really what we're saying is there's dignity in human life, and that should be respected and protected. Absolutely. And so well said. And I am so grateful that you are standing up and saying this and championing the value of human life and that we all are made in the image of God and have inherent dignity and worth and that the law should reflect protections uh, against these these types of, of false ideologies and to try to get people who are genuinely, you know, maybe suffering from from gender dysphoria or, or some of these other challenges in in life and um, and certainly young people as well that are being told, you know, you can participate in this uh, this this cult mentality or this other uh, subculture and you can get advantages in society and young people like you know, especially teenagers, um, not just Minors who this is inflicted upon them unilaterally by their parents, but uh, but teenagers will will try to participate in this and not realize the harm down the road. I mean, if if we're not even allowing as a society a the ability for a teenager to get a tattoo, which is you know semi permanent, doesn't have nearly the damaging effect. You can ignore a bad decision on a tattoo, and when you get older, but it, you know it doesn't have nearly the harm as genital mutilation surgery, which is what this is, then how how could we think that teenagers could possibly contemplate this question? Um, so this is great that this is providing this type of consumer protection and that medical providers have to give patients specific warnings. Um, but, but I think it's also interesting here that you're not just protecting minors, because that's where a lot of conservatives have tried to draw the line to say, well, let's at least protect the kids. But you've gone as far as saying, well, this matters to, to everyone. So why aren't you just drawing the line on 18 and younger? Well, it does start with children. And your point's absolutely right. Look, I've got a five-year-old. I cannot consent to my five-year-old riding in the front seat of my car, right? I mean, the law doesn't allow that. But somehow parents can consent to permanent gender mutilation for children. That's, that's crazy. And so we've got to have these safeguards in place. But if it's good for the kids, why wouldn't it also be good for adults to have the access to the mental health treatment, access to the information about the negative implications of these drugs, 
access to the number zero, zero FDA uh, clinical trials and approvals for these drugs. And that's true for kids and adults. Look, we would be under-inclusive, to use a term that the left loves to use, if we just protected kids and didn't say all patients of all ages should have this information. This isn't interfering with people's private sexual behavior. This is protecting patients. If it's good for kids to have the information, it's also good for adults to have the information. Well, absolutely. And and more information usually rationally is better to make an informed decision. And this is why the law protects things like informed consent to say that, you know, there shouldn't be any uh, kind of hidden aspects and hidden harms before you make this kind of decision, especially a medical decision making. And um, and it's it's interesting as well. And, and I don't know if you've uh, read and are familiar with, you know, some of these um, other stories talking about the whole big pharma um aspect in all of this, that they're basically creating in, in some of the articles, and there was a great one in The Federalist a while ago, um, that was talking about how Big Pharma is creating this whole new class of consumers with all of this hormone therapy and all of these things that that if someone participates in especially a, a gender mutilation type of surgery, they're going to need extensive care and medical treatment ongoing for the rest of their lives. And so do you expect or have you seen um, any kind of um, lobbying specifically and money put into the state of Missouri from big pharma to try to fight some of these things that the state legislature is doing and this new rule that uh, you you have imposed? Well, certainly we know it's there. We know that the, that there are large woke corporations that have monetized this kind of these kinds of procedures and these kinds of treatments, these left-wing ideologies masquerading as medicine. We know that it's been ideal. You know that the, the ideologues on the left are pushing a, a, a radical agenda, but there are woke corporations that have monetized it. And at the end of the day, we know that more than half of detransitioners, those who say, "Oh, you know what? I don't actually want to change my gender," say they received no adequate evaluation before being put on these life-altering drugs. Think about that for a minute. We're we're, we're we're racing down the path of administering these pills, getting these kids and, and, and adults addicted to these drugs, causing permanent or long-term health consequences, and then they're stuck on it for life, just like you're saying. And so, yeah, there's absolutely an economic incentive for woke big corporations to keep pushing this stuff into our society and get those people addicted, get them hooked into this system, and then they're paying out for life. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so that, that's why these rules are necessary to protect consumers and protect patients. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking to think how broken uh, of, of a society, this this segment that the church is going to end up having to deal with, of course, you know, as, as people who have gone through this harm and, and we're seeing stories of um, now adults that in their teen years or as children um, had some of these, uh, these horrific surgeries imposed on them unilaterally and there need to be consequences but this type of prevention uh, and this type of action from your office um, again I just I, I I think that every state who actually cares about their people instead of um, just imposing their ideology needs to have something similar and um, the last question I have for you as well um, Attorney General Andrew Bailey out of Missouri um, so in your uh, in your rule, you have talked about your office um, investigating 
a gender clinic uh, whistleblower's allegations that um, an investigation revealed that some providers in Missouri prescribe um, gender transition incentives without any individualized uh, assessment, contrary to the safeguards established in scientific literature and by medical organizations. And so, um, according to the Epic Times, critics are saying, you know, well, this is a debunked claim because that's always their pushback is just, you know, no, there's not facts. That's just, that's been debunked. They never say how or why or where, but um, but they've said that. So, um, what's going on in some of these clinics that are, it sounds like, just forcing this road without even... Um, giving sort of an individualized assessment, like saying, oh, yeah, this, this, in our opinion, is actually the best medical outcome for you. Well, certainly the whistleblower that came forward for the clinic in St. Louis that, you know, they want to say it's the left wants to claim it's debunked. But this individual uh, self-describes as a progressive who volunteered to work at a kid's transgender clinic because she believed in transgender rights. She was willing to put her name on a piece of paper under oath and swear to the veracity of the statement, such as that, they were the, the patients came in and the, the clinic blocked their access to mental health treatment, blocked their access to psychology or psychiatry, refused to do psych assessments and provide them access to those mental health treatment for mental health disorders. She testified that 75 percent of the kids who came into her clinic with, quote unquote, gender dysphoria claimed that they learned about their gender from TikTok. We need to be talking to these kids, not prescribing pills. She also claimed if it, if what's even more frightening, perhaps the apex of, of the, the danger here is that there was no real parental consent that the clinic would would sub would target individual parents they thought were most likely to give consent and then cajole, bully, and pressure those parents into consenting by saying things like, do you want a live son or a dead daughter in front of the child? So where suicidal ideation did not exist in the conversation before, the clinic injected that issue into the conversation. They're not treating mental health. They're making it worse. It's even one-tenth of what this whistleblower is saying is true. It amounts to nothing short of child abuse. We called for a moratorium. The clinic refused. That launched our multi-agency investigation and caused us to do subsequent investigation, which revealed a shadowy and clandestine network of these clinics across the state, which then prompted our emergency rule. So as we begin to pull on the thread and the sweater unravels, we see more and more harm and danger to children out there. Now we've got Planned Parenthood promising pop-up clinics to provide this kind of care before our rule goes into effect. They're in a, at a, in a race to mutilate as many children as they can and castrate as many children as, as they can before they have to start complying with the law. I'm sure we'll be in court fighting over this, and there is no ounce of energy I won't pour into this fight to protect patients and protect kids in the state of Missouri because it's the right thing to do, and we're not going to stop. Good. Good for you. That is, that is just horrific. And if it's happening in the state of Missouri, you know it's happening across the country. And um, Attorney General Andrew Bailey, really appreciate your time and your fight and your effort. God bless you for protecting um, kids and also everyone who is falling um, victim to this insane, outrageous ideology. And um, thank you so much for joining. And we'll be following this story and definitely um, have you back on as as this progresses. But it, it's just that that's just horrific and it should be shocking that we're even having this conversation that these clinics are intentionally trying to create a problem and a harm for kids that's not even there but we'll be right back with more here on jenna ellis in the morning bob Kraft, founder of reach a village ministries As soon as someone opens their eyes and sees the light of the gospel 
and they understand the message for the first time and they get that forgiveness and that grace and the power of the Holy Spirit coming into a family in the middle of a village like that is totally transforming. The focus of Reach a Village is to see that these villages that have been unreached up to this point have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And the gospel comes to them through local people who have been trained and equipped with materials that they need to go into the village, share the gospel, disciple people, and form a local church. When the gospel comes in, everything changes. Help impact lives for Christ by partnering with Reach a Village. Visit reachavillage.org AFR. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Michael Regan, administrator of the EPA. His office oversees matters of environmental protection for our country. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 reminds us that the earth is God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Michael Regan as he works on behalf of the environment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. The city of Boston plans to use COVID cash to pay college tuition for illegal aliens. Campus Reform reports Mayor Michelle Wu will fund the plan by using as much as $4 million, $3 million of that from the American Rescue Plan Act. Six community colleges are participating in the initiative. Students can get up to $2,500 in debt paid off, and they'll also get a stipend of $250 per semester. Well, what about law-abiding American board students? Well, I reckon those kids are going to have to get a second or third job to pay their bills. Once again, proof that under Democrats, it's America last. So here's a thought. How about returning all that used COVID cash back to the American taxpayers? And maybe instead of investigating Catholics, the FBI ought to be investigating Boston's woke elected leaders, stealing our money and giving it to illegals. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So Attorney General uh, Andrew Bailey from the state of Missouri, um, super impressive. And I am so grateful that uh, these these Republicans and, you know, just common sense people anymore standing up for um, for not only minors and especially our children, but also adults and engaging in this fight because we have to make sure that we are protecting the truth in civil society and engaging in 
politics with the correct view of reality. And on the flip side, um, Colorado is careening down a path to um, non-reality. And this is, of course, my home state where I grew up. And unfortunately, over the last um, especially 10 plus years, there has been a direct target to Colorado by a lot of these um, leftist organizations, including Planned Parenthood, to fund a lot of uh, money into the state to push towards um, a lot of these leftist policies. And so compare and contrast Missouri that is protecting children and also adults and saying, we want you to have more information. We want to make sure that these clinics aren't just trying to create patients and tell you that the only option is for you to participate in these uh, ridiculous transgender um, you know, mutilation surgeries. Contrast that now to Colorado that uh, last week became the first state to legally protect teen transgender treatment under the guise of tourism. So it's they literally call it transgender tourism, where um, this trio of bills that was signed by the first openly gay governor in the country, Jared Polis, um, which you know tells you part of, of his ideology and participation in that whole LGBT agenda, said that people who would want to travel from other states, like probably, for example, Missouri, that want to travel to Colorado for these this hormone therapy uh, won't be punished, and that the red states can't sue. That's that's just it's it's so bizarre and it's so harmful. So we're going to be talking about that um, more later on this week with my good friend Jeff Hunt from uh, the the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Um, good friend, I'm still a fellow there, and um, and talking about what's going on in the state of Colorado. But you know, looking just at the state of America broadly and how we are starting to see this polarized difference even more dramatically in the context of the transgender debate and in the context of moving forward to the 2024 election and choose your fighter uh, with the Republican primary. Uh, My good friend Jim Nels has a great piece in the Daily Wire that uh, the headline is Deja Vu Decade, Why the 2020s Remind Me of Another Turbulent Decade, with one big difference. So Jim joins me now. And Jim, good morning. Um, you know, really appreciate this. And this is a really great piece. And and I think it's good for all of us to remember that we've had other difficulties and pivotal moments in America's history. And by the grace of God, we have moved through that. We have survived as a nation and as a country. Um, so this is our moment to continue to stand firm. But um, what... What is the one big difference between uh, the 2020s and this other uh, turbulent decade that you write about? Jenna, good morning. Thanks again for having me today. Um, If you look at the similarities between the 1970s, especially the Carter years, and what's happening today in in the 20s during the Biden years, the the parallels are eerie and they're scary. But there's one major difference. Um, There are many differences, but the major difference is that everything that's happening bad in the United States right now is self-inflicted. And you can make the argument that things that happened in the 70s were basically geopolitical, politically driven and not necessarily the fault of U.S. policy. For example, the Yom Kippur War, which led to the Arab oil embargo against the United States. 
that quadrupled the price of oil, quadrupled the price of gas. There was really nothing anyone could do about that. Fast forward 50 years, and we're seeing the price of gas now continuing to go up. We're seeing the price of oil at over $80 a barrel, and it's solely because of the energy policy of the Biden regime. So it's a self-inflicted wound. The other major difference, and this is something that I thought of post the article, is that if you look at Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter was an incompetent president. But I don't think anyone doubts that he actually loved America and had a vision for America that you and I didn't agree with, but he actually had a vision for what he wanted America to be. Joe Biden does not love America, and he has three characteristics that are extremely dangerous in a leader. He's incompetent, he's arrogant, and he's corrupt. And you put those three things together in a leader, and it's no wonder we're in the situation that we're in today. Hmm. Wow. And that's a really sad and unfortunate uh description of Joe Biden. And, you know, it reminds me of what our founding fathers talked about when they have this term domestic enemies, you know, that that we need to protect against both uh, against our enemies, both foreign and domestic, and how um, so many people, including our founders, have have also said that if America would ever cease to exist, it will be be because there is an enemy within. And so this contrast from, you know, we are solidifying in-house to to combat our allies. There's always been this clash and this this war between um, good versus evil and, you know, and also the nations and 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 um, and America first in, in terms of that national pride. But when we have a leader that is so corrupt and and is all of the things that you just described Jim Nels that I th- I believe that the Biden administration is trying on purpose to intentionally destroy the institutions of America from within not only the executive branch they've been uh, for judicial activism and putting activist judges on the bench um, taking Congress and manipulating that power completely um, against anything that the constitution contemplates. So so what's what is our our hope then moving forward in terms of 2024 and and also in terms of the states because I I don't think that just the presidency is is important to preserving and protecting America. We also need to return to state sovereignty as well. Jenna, I think you just hit on a on a key factor is um uh, you know, I, I, the, the last sentence in my article is, who is the next Ronald Reagan to ride in on a white horse and save America? And I think we don't need just one Ronald Reagan. We need 50 governors. We need thousands of mayors. We need thousands of school board members. We need thousands of precinct captains. What we, it, this is going to become local, and it's going to have to be a bottom-up movement. Uh, we can get a president in place, but if it's President Trump, we only have four years to get things done. Um, so we're going to have to move fast. And, you know, if, if we don't have the House and the Senate, then you can't move fast. So it's that grassroots. It's getting rid of some of these corrupt district attorneys and prosecutors. It is getting more people who share our values and who are not corrupt on these local, winning these local elections. And that's how we start to change things from the inside out. We empower the state, which then in turn can force the federal government to do what we need them to do. Yeah, really, really well said. And, and, you know, we're seeing these contrasts even, you know, in the, in the America that Joe Biden is still the president when you look at what's going on in Chicago 
and how there was, um, I, I think it's, somebody posted over 30 shootings in Chicago just over the weekend with eight deaths. And yet, you know, the Biden administration is not talking about that. But that's going on in Chicago while you have the state of Missouri, that it has this great attorney general that is protecting uh, the the adults and the children from, you know, these harmful transgender practices. Then you have um, you know, Governor DeSantis out of Florida that is making Florida a great place to live and actually thinking about state sovereignty and trying to um, use the supermajority in Florida to implement more legislation that protects freedom and combats the federal government. And so if you and Joe Biden's still the president, unfortunately, when you have these the complete and total contrast between the city of Chicago and, you know, and Orlando or, you know, or the beaches of Florida. And so so we have to look, I think, at state sovereignty and we have to look at some of those um, those important issues. And so as as we are looking at at these things, and I know that everyone listening is really concerned about the country and, you know, may or may not have the ability to themselves run for office. Um, but what are some suggestions about other types of political engagement? Um, obviously, awareness is the number one thing. But um, but in terms of especially coming up and um, looking at the presidential election and, and participating in the vote, what are some other ways of um, of activism and engagement of civic participation that that you would suggest? That's a great question. And, you know, as you know, I live in this dystopian nightmare that is Chicago, and it's it's becoming the New York of the 1970s right now. But what what we need people to do, because as you said, not everyone can run for office. Not everyone can can give money. But what you can do is you can show up and you can force the agenda. And I'll use the example of what parents did in Virginia. Um, They they said no more. And they started showing up at school board meetings and they forced the school board to be transparent with what their curriculum was. And that's what got Glenn Youngkin elected. And so it, it wasn't people running for office. It wasn't people giving money. It was people showing up and speaking their minds. And I think if we get to the point where people on our side of the aisle, people who share our common beliefs and our common vision for the country start to show up more frequently Start to be more vocal about what we want. Stop being afraid to say what we say in private in public. And I think that's a big thing. We need to start saying in public what we say in private. And we have to stop being afraid to do that. And that was a big aha moment for me, which is why I'm starting to do the things I'm doing now. But showing up is 90% of getting there. And if we show up and if we force the agenda and then we show up and we vote and we, we, we don't have to play by the rules we've always played by, we have to play by the rules that the Democrats have put in place. We don't have to wait till game day to vote. Vote early and then go get your friends and bring your friends in to vote. Put a drop box in some place. Put a drop box in your church. Put a drop box in your community center. Follow the laws that are in place and we can make the change and make the change happen. Yeah. And and Jim Nell, I think you're a great example of this because, you know, you're a supply chain consultant based in Chicago, as you said, and you have seen what's going on in America and you have started um, doing a lot more freelance journalism and just and writing and and highlighting all of these issues. Um, and so, you know, you're not someone who has has been over the course of your career, you know, a professional politician or a journalist or, you know, somebody who is 24 seven engaged in politics or professionally, you know, that that's your entire profession. And so you're a great example of how people can 
um, can further this conversation because so many people say, you know, we need to start talking about X and why aren't people talking about Y? Well, start, start, have those conversations in your communities, in your churches, in, you know, my sister-in-law starts these conversations in her, in her homeschool groups with, you know, some moms that um, may or may not be Christians or may have, you know, different, um, coming in with, you know, with different perspectives and will challenge uh, them to, to just consider and say, well, you know, well, why do you, why do you believe that? Or, or have you seen this and ask those questions? Uh, one of the books that I always recommend is um, Tactics by Greg Kokel. It is a wonderful book mm-hmm. that, um, that talks about just asking and engaging people with why do you support the ideology that you want to support? Um, and, and why do you have the perspective that you do? And when these liberal leftists, and I know, Jim, that you've seen this, when they actually come to the tension point of this clash between their view and you know actual reality, there's this moment of, oh, no. And they either mm-hmm. have to change their view and accept reality or they have to intentionally deny reality. And, and that's great. And, I, and so how um, just in the last like two minutes I have with you here. Um, how would you encourage others then to engage in civic society in the ways that you have? Because now you're a freelance journalist and you're having these conversations and you're you're promoting good ideas in the public square. Well, Jenna, I'll, I'll put it this way. It's a lot more satisfying to put pen to paper or to have a conversation like you and I are having right now than it is to just sit on the couch and scream at the TV. And that was really my aha moment was, I can scream at the TV all day long, and it doesn't make a darn bit of difference to anyone. So I would encourage anybody who has an opinion or wants to get involved, you don't necessarily have to publish things in a, in a, in a big journal. Go to your next Republican um, committee meeting and speak up. Talk to your friends. As if you belong to a, a church group or any sort of group, your bridge club, your poker club, have the conversation. Start the conversation. And if someone disagrees with you, engage them. Engage them with facts not emotion, and let them hang themselves. Because as you said, most people on the, on the left side, they only have their emotions. And once you counter emotion with fact, you win every single time. Yes, really, really well said. Well, Jim Nels, I uh, really appreciate it so much. And you can read his piece uh, in the Daily Wire. It's called Deja Vu Decade, Why the 2020s Remind Me of Another Turbulent Decade with One Big Difference. And uh, it's it's a really great piece, and you should be uh, be following Jim and, and what he is participating in this conversation of civil society. And I would echo his sentiment there that we need to be participating in these conversations wherever we engage them. When we go to church, talk about the things of God and talk about then taking that truth further, applying it to civil society and thinking through things with the biblical, truthful worldview and engaging everyone with the truth, ultimately, of the gospel of Christ. Well, we will be right back with more right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning to continue talking about truth.
Hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, host of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show beginning April 24th on AFR.net. I'll serve as your expert guide to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. The podcast begins April 24th on AFR.net, and I can hardly wait. See you there. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1.22 My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. This scripture underscores the harrowing reality that permeates the life of many who profess to be Christians. The blessing of being a Christ follower comes not only from hearing God's word, but obeying it. James continues, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi, strengthen your marriage and your family with Abraham Hamilton III. Having been made members of his eternal family, we now have a responsibility to consider how to stir one another up. George Barna. You cannot say there's a one-size-fits-all approach in ministry. If you've got a church of a thousand people, you have a thousand different stories, hurts, fears, doubts. Dr. Lee Brand. People gather together in buildings with steeples on top and crosses out front and never mention the name of Jesus, and that's sad. And many more. The Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His glory alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we've been talking about uh, a lot of different issues this morning, but uh, but mainly this, this contrast between the woke leftists that are driving their agenda and the results of, of what that looks like in a dystopian place like Chicago. And then uh, what freedom can look like in the state of Florida and that contrast. And then uh, places like even in, even in Mississippi. I mean, the, the legislation that was passed in Mississippi to protect life uh, became the impetus to go all the way to the Supreme Court and resulted in the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade that led to the ability for other states to to start now. Uh, protecting life and restricting 
abortions and we have to continue on and we have to push forward into civil society. But during the break, you know, I was, I was thinking about how, how we're talking about being in church, learning the truth of the word of God, and then taking that out into civil society and advancing the truth in the public square, in in every philosophy and subject matter. And we tend to, on this program, talk more about how we do that in civil society and in politics, which is bringing the truth uh, into how we live as a, an, a moral and upright and well-ordered society. Uh, being well-ordered is, is why we have laws. We have to prohibit evil, and we have to permit and champion and protect truth and good. Um, and that is that is the mandate of Micah 6.8, which is to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And there's an obligation in a moral and upright society to punish evil actively, not not just not permit it and prohibit it, but actually actively punish it. That is the definition of justice is making sure that there is uh, that characteristic of God is actively applied to actions and conduct in civil society. And government should be used as a tool to make sure to enact justice in how we interact with each other in civil society. Um, the family unit is so that there is justice within how we interact with our individual family members in that small family unit community. And um, I would encourage parents, as my mom always talks about, and she's a biblical counselor, um, my mom always talks about how the family unit is the first uh, opportunity for children to experience what justice looks like, what mercy looks like, and these attributes of God within the family structure. And as much as adults you know, hate the petty tyranny and, uh, and want justice and want um, evildoers to be punished, you know, that, that probably describes a few of you out there with some of your strong-willed kids. I know that it at, at times describes, at, still currently, um, because we're all fallen and sinful, but definitely describes uh, me and my brothers growing up as little evildoers sometimes that had to be corrected, you know, and that's um, spoil or uh, what's the what's the phrase spare the rod spoil the child you know so so you need to enact justice and have fairness and uh and not just you know what parents want and say well you know i'm i'm the parent and therefore i say well no what what does god require and we are still always under god's ultimate authority and there's an opportunity to show kids what that looks like and um and i think my parents were a great example of that because growing up uh, we could always appeal a rule um and my mom, i mean maybe, maybe this is what, part of why I, I grew up loving law uh because you know my my mom um would hold court in a sense and say okay so you know why do you think this and you can make your appeal and then uh, we could always question and say um why why is this rule the way that it is or um, appeal and say, can this be changed or can I get an exemption and you know all of those things. And there was a sense of justice. And even if I didn't always agree with the outcome, um, I knew that I could question, I could appeal and that um, always as well, there if there were disputes between me and my brothers, um, it wasn't just, well, then, then nobody, you know, we're just going to stop this completely. Like if you're if you're uh, if two kids are fighting over a toy it wasn't well then nobody gets it it's well no okay what happened here let's 
look at the facts and if if one child was playing with it and the other one came over and stole it from them, well, no, you can wait your turn and then, of course, we can share and go along with the other rules. Um, but these are just ways that we interact and, and bring the truth and the nature and character of God to all of our life rules, which includes how we interact with each other in the context of family and how we interact with each other in the context of a broader community. And and so we, we talk about politics in that sense, I think, more often um, because we're looking at the injustice in society and we want to have those corrections and we, that's why we champion things like uh, what the attorney general is doing in Missouri, like what Governor DeSantis is doing in Florida, uh, like what President Trump did by, you know, there were so many great things that he did uh, throughout his possibly first four years. Uh, and of course, he would frame it that way. Um, the first four years of his administration, we want to see justice. We crave that. The Bible says that um, when there's a righteous rule ruler, the people rejoice, but under an evil oppressor, the people groan. And and we're seeing that. That's why there is, is such a frustration with the Biden administration, even from people on on the left, and we can call them, you know, disaffected Democrats or whatever, um, and, and that's true. But it's not just a matter of political identity. If we consider ourselves and what we champion as first and foremost Republicans, or you know, I am first and foremost a libertarian, or I'm an independent, you know, I'm I want to just you know think what I believe. Uh, then we're missing the point because our political affiliation sh- it should be a natural consequence of our biblical worldview. And this is why we need to be able to critique those even on our own side and our own party. I have long said that I I don't call it infighting or, oh, we can't ever critique Uh, Republicans or conservatives because, you know, we have to only look at what the left is doing. Well, no, we should be speaking everyone and encouraging our side to be better and to make sure that we are living morally and uprightly. And and it it would be the same thing as saying, well, you know, no, no evildoers ever occur and there's nothing that we should ever correct in the context of our own family unit, we can only critique the rest of the kids in the neighborhood or the rest of the kids in our Sunday school class or, you know, the rest of the broader community. Um, we can critique all of them, but we nothing that we do in the context of our own house um, is ever held up to the moral standard of biblical truth. And, and, and that's, that is not the biblical standard. We need to always be calling out what is right and wrong and and rightly dividing not only scripture and truth, but then applying that to our culture, to our community, to our family, to um, to church. That's why God imposed uh, the, the church discipline structure and the process through Matthew 18. There, Just like in our justice system and civil society, there is a process, just like how my parents imposed a process by which we get to justice in the context of our family. In the church, there should be, if your church is understanding and exercising church discipline, there should be a process uh, by which members of the church can go through and arbitrate disputes. And and in the structure of the family, the family should be a member and members of the church so that if there is a dispute, for example, between 
um, husband and wife, then you can go to the church and say, let's arbitrate this from the standard of truth and you can get wise counsel and you can be accountable to your church. And, and so often, um, you know, friends of mine who say, well, you know, we just, we arbitrate our disputes of who feels more strongly about an issue than somebody else. And I think, well, okay, so just whoever has the more power and force wins the argument. Well, that's not the right standard. Um, and, and we should always, as Christians, no matter what the context is, family, civil society, community, church, the standard should always be the word of God. And so we can't then assume that the the rules of God and the truth of the word of God apply only in a church context. And so we need to be learning the truth in the church, but the church needs to also display the righteous rule and the divine law of our divine law giver. And churches should be emulating that so that we can go out into our broader communities and speak the truth of the gospel and to impose and implement these rules that enact real, genuine, meaningful justice. But what's happening often in churches is that we are not holding the standard of teaching the truth and equipping believers to then go into our communities and do that, where that's the that's the education center of truth and then moving out into society. What we're doing is taking a cultural, secular worldview, and we're bringing that into our churches on Sunday. And we're saying, let's borrow the ideology from the left, and let's take that and bring that into the church. And then we have to kind of deal with um, our issues in the church based on a secular worldview perspective. And Andy Stanley is one who um, has has modeled this very, very well in the sense that he's doing it in the very wrong way. And I know a lot of us who um, who loved and respected Charles Stanley, who passed away yesterday. Um, he was one of the genuine heroes of the faith. And um, Dr. David Jeremiah, whose program is on our network, um, gave just a wonderful statement um, that said, and I'll read it really quickly. Charles Stanley was not only a knowledgeable and faithful Bible teacher who loved and obeyed God, he was also a man of great character and a humble and gracious friend. Who can count the number of souls his life and ministry made an impact on? His steadfast commitment to preaching the gospel will be remembered for generations. He has blessed me in the world tremendously, and I will see him again someday in glory. And that's just a beautiful, uh, truthful sentiment from Dr. David Jeremiah. And unfortunately, Andy Stanley, um, Dr. Stanley's son, is taking a very different perspective. And I want to play this clip, this clip while we still have time. Um, he's talking about Andy Stanley, a homosexual church attender that, according to him, has more faith sometimes than other Christians. Listen to this, this is cut seven. Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. Well, I, I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay men and women, okay. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. 
A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Do you, where do you go that you're not sure you're gonna be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-laws house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place, I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church, oh my goodness. I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff, but just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, God said no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. And I know the verses, I know the clobber passages, right? We gotta figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. Isn't that tragic? Uh, so, so Andy's saying, I know, I know all of the verses, and he calls them clobber verses. Yeah, that's called truth, buddy. Uh, so he says, you know, we have to learn from these wonderful people. Do you see what he's doing? He is saying we need to borrow from the ideology of the culture, and we need to, instead of speaking truth and starting there and going into the culture and saying this is the truth of the Word of God, it may be a clobber verse and it may be offensive to you, but truth is offensive when the law of God is telling you that you're wrong. And that is where conviction happens. And that term conviction in the sense of, of biblical truth, it means you are guilty of an offense against God. Similarly, in a just moral and upright society, if we are convicted, we are guilty of violating the law that hopefully is a just law in society. So we have to not borrow from the culture and then let that permeate what we speak from the pulpit and how we engage in church. We have to take the truth of God and say, we are standing firm on that. And then we will go into the culture and yes, convict those people and say, you are living in sin. This is wrong. Come and be accepted because you are repenting. And so we need to make sure that we are always starting first and foremost with the truth. So make it a great day. And I will join you each and every morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm loving receiving your emails. Please write in Jenna at AFR.net. And I am praying for all of you, especially um, some of my good friends who wrote in yesterday. I'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.